At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Orahoy Army and fellow music fans, I'm Kayla. And I'm Bethany, and we're the hosts of Standing BTS from the Consequence Podcast Network. We're a bi-weekly show that covers the impact and legacy of K-pop group BTS. We mix the perfect blend of research and fangirl as we take a deep dive into lyrics during album reviews, theorize over music videos, and keep up with their current events. No BTS topic is off-limits. We welcome everyone into the conversation, whether you're a casual fan, committed ARMY, or someone who's just curious about one of the biggest music groups in the world. Come chat with us every other Thursday with a new episode wherever podcasts are found. Hello again and welcome to the Spark Parade. I'm Adam Unz. Thank you very much for joining me. I've got a great show for you this week. I mean, uh, I have a great show for you every week. So let's just say this is in keeping with the greatness of all other past and future episodes, shall we? Anyway, this week, my guest is the singer, DJ, producer, am I forgetting anything? Uh, Let's just say the multi-talented Iria Negrot. She wanted to talk to me about a track that's been a big inspiration to her, and that track is called Another World, and it gets a little complicated from here. It's a track by Akabu, which is an alias of international superstar DJ Joey Negro, but... We are actually talking about the Andre Lodeman mix of that track. Confused? I hope not. Uh, if you are, don't worry. All will be revealed in due course. But first up this week, I wanted to talk a little bit about political art. Now, all art is political in one way or another. I mean, everything is political in one way or another. But today, I wanted to talk about art that is designed for politics. More specifically, campaign posters. And the power of graphic design. Most campaign artwork is pretty vanilla. The candidate's name is on it, a slogan that's been focus grouped to within an inch of its life, and maybe a very simple logo designed to be so inoffensive that it's also instantly forgettable. But in recent memory, there have been some high-profile examples of candidates kind of bucking that trend. And I think one of the most obvious ones is the Hope poster that Shepard Ferry created for President Obama. That's a really striking image, and it conveys a lot of the emotion and excitement surrounding the 2008 campaign. Now, that was designed independently of the Obama campaign, and it was eventually approved for official use. But there's another more recent example that's very near and dear to my heart involving a campaign poster that was created with the candidate's input. It is my tremendous privilege to have Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez as my local congressional representative. She's been getting a little bit of press recently, so you may have heard of her. (laughs) But before I really knew anything about her platform, her compassion, her intelligence, all of these things that have made her so famous and so well-regarded internationally, at least by rational people, 
Before all of that, I got an initial idea of who she was from the campaign posters that were plastered all over my neighborhood. If you haven't seen her campaign posters, uh, they were created by a design firm called Tandem. Uh, I'll post one on Instagram for you. But the gist is bold, bright colors with text in Spanish and English and a photo of AOC in profile looking up. It conveys the same hope and enthusiasm that I felt when I learned about the substance of her policies. And I voted for her because of those policies, but like a lot of people in my neighborhood, I was initially drawn to her campaign by the artwork in these posters. It's artwork that's deliberately evocative of the posters created for the United Farm Workers movement led by Dolores Huerta and Cesar Chavez. Artwork that aims to inspire and unite people. And I think that's a pretty remarkable impact for something hanging in the window of a laundrette. Okay, next up is my chat with Ariana Grote about the Andre Lodeman mix of Another World by Akabu. So this Joey Negro track, or whatever he is calling himself, Akabu, Akabu? Um, Joey Negro, yeah. The remix. Yeah, how did you come across that? Well, I was once having a show in a fashion event, which is, of course, uh, it's, um, it's a very challenging scene. You know, people, when they in the fashion scene, it's all about, you know, like, okay, it's networking, but also about fashion. It's about both being superficial, but also being extremely intense in another aspect. Um, I was having this show, which was, to my taste, a very deep deeply emotional show. I was coming from a very um, uh, long round of, uh, of shows abroad in, in Germany. And then when I, I feel that I am bleeding the most, like the death of the, you know, like the dying swan, I guess, um, I start to realize that people is just like um, either like focus on their phones or like making pictures of each other or like Instagramming you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I started to make like funny comments, you know, like this is the Alcantara filter and this is the whatever filter <laughs> and uh, people was not getting it. I was basically just like laughing at them, just like seeing basically someone being crucified, but still like having the nerve to make a fil- put a filter on it. Right. So I recall getting out of that show and, um, and having this, um, this girl that was working for a very known magazine. Uh, coming to me and she was like, well, thank you for the show. This was, this was so good. And, um, I, I kind of felt very, very touched that someone would come in such, um, in such a big situation, you know, in such a, um, kind of arrogant situation Mm -hmm. to come and say something nice. Um, and, um, so I came back to Berlin. That's when the story comes. And I started really to wonder like, is it, is it really, Maybe I'm getting, am I really getting old or bored? But it's really, sometimes you feel like the message is not coming across, especially when you work when you're with your own stories and your own uh, production. Sometimes you really feel that people is not 100% focused. And I'm like, well, you know, maybe I should do something else. Um, and that thought of be, we'll be doing something else became a little bit darker, you know, then I started to feel really depressed, you know, like, what the fuck, I'm wasting my time and I should be doing a real job. <laughs> um, 
And then I came to my house and I started to play music that I had been buying and downloading for um, for months. And I came across this track, which is absolutely beautifully produced and um, in with such a sensitivity, but still a, um, a dance track. And it actually moved me to tears to the point when I realized, like, you know, like, this is what I make music for, you know? I make music for music, not for people, in the case of production. So it was, in a way, a very inspiring moment in, a, in the moment when you actually realize that you are good doing something for, for a major reason and not just, like, for the pleasure of some, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I think finding pieces of music that move you that way can really make you feel like you're in the right career and that, you know, this is this is the, the best path for you. Yeah. This track is um, an Andre Lodman mix of uh, Joey Negro. The Joey Negro track. Uh, song. Yeah. And yeah. in dance music especially, the there's a, you know, a culture of remixing that people aren't afraid to uh, use each other's work and manipulate it and turn it into their own thing and that wearing your influences on your sleeve is is not a big deal but everybody kind of shares and uh, takes little bits of other people's work and adds them to their work and do you find in the the work that you do that you you now um, are more open to exploring other people's work as as an influence or is it you, you still want to make sure that that doesn't affect your work. Well, I I guess I learn a little bit. I mean, also by hearing a lot of music. Then I'm not talking about simply ten tracks. I'm talking about a hundred or three hundred tracks that mm-hmm. you're you're constantly checking and analyzing. Do I like it? Do, what what do I like about this? You know, how do, how is the sound like? What is the difference of the MP3 quality to the WAV quality? And all these little things, these little details that count in the end. I have learned also um, to isolate a little bit my production perspective from the what is actually amusing to DJ, you know? And it's also, um, I think it also became from like the beginning of 2000 with all this huge uh, music explosion and and YouTube and Napster and <laughs> Soulseek and all these download platforms that we had way in the beginning. It became almost overwhelming. <laughs> it, it actually like made people unsensitive to sound. It became just like some kind of like, it really was a way of explosion, like actually liberating uh, <laughs> for in a way, but also was a way to kind of create some callous in the ears of people. Yeah. Like people became unsensitive to music in a way. And and that actually scared me the most that I would be like unsensitive to music. Yeah. Um, there, I've spoken to a couple of other people about that, um, that time where, you know, I can remember in the nineties, if you wanted to have access to a record that hadn't come out in your country, you have to like find it on import it was a huge mission and it was this really like exciting gratifying thing if you were able to track it down and if you wanted new music you went to a record store you you know dug through crates and you'd have to discover things do a little work to discover things and now it's like 
everything's at your fingertips. A lot of people's taste is dictated by algorithms um, or the, the new music that they're exposed to is di dictated by um, algorithms. And it's not about like organically finding new stuff. Um, yeah. It is like this overwhelming tidal wave of everything. Like there's no limits to access anymore. You can get whatever you want whenever you want it. And I think having that enormous mountain of music is really daunting sometimes that people feel like, where do I even start? And it might, you know, I, it, different people react to that differently. Like it can put people off and, and make them feel like, you know, they'll stick with the five singers who they really like or the, the albums they've always listened to because it's just impossible to find a way to navigate this enormous enormous musical landscape exactly um, no i think it's like it's become uh i think we are now in the point of uh going back people started to it started to be sensitive again about music because at some point it became overwhelming and people kind of detached themselves from what it was actually being played to actually people starting to realize again it's like these constant waves of like giving a shit and not giving a shit <laughs> Are you producing and DJing at the same time? And do those two things like intersect at all? Do you, you know, is the, the music that you play when you're DJing influenced at all by what you're working on in your own stuff? Um, well, basically the, 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 the only advantage of, um, of being, of listening to so much music, the real advantage is that I actually can define even more when I'm focusing in my own music. Mm -hmm. So strangely enough, my music started being very electronic and very computer-based to actually become a little bit more organic and more pop in a way mm -hmm. since I started DJing. Mm. So I, I actually moved a little bit against what I'm playing which is very interesting because it has become ballads and like I have been also in very interesting um, classical music projects. And um, in a way, I think it, it gave my, my own music an even more theatrical uh, shelf to what I was already doing mm -hmm. um, because I actually could detach from, okay, I'm playing this in a club and this is what I want to do. Mm -hmm. And this is also something that comes uh, with time because of course I don't want to be performing in a club screaming to the, <laughs> to the top of my lungs for the rest of my life. I actually mm -hmm. want to sit down at some point. <laughs> so it, in, instead of like, um, instead of narrowing my taste it actually made it really wide and it, it, it kind of made my spectrum a bit broader. Mm -hmm. And this Joey Negro remix, I think, shows quite a range of musical influences as well. Like there is that sample that's like from a James Bond soundtrack and then exactly. kind of a squelchy, minimal techno noises underneath, but kind of a housey beat extremely orchestral and and sounds like a journey and has um a beautiful um it has a beautiful lead that turns into these beautiful harmonies it's just like really like um like a cinematic track i, mm -hmm. I would i would i would say yeah. that's what i like about it also with with the sexy corners of course <laughs> um yeah and i still it's, it's one of my favorite tracks of course, there have been like hundreds of tracks that you say like, oh, no, but this one, this one yeah. is my favorite track. But 
Actually, I see it not just as music. I see it like a good, like invisible painting, mm-hmm. I guess. Mm. And he played with that palette, like really, really flamboyant, a very flamboyant palette, you know. Um, it can could be like a flamingo, but it's also some kind of um, panda bear, if you can call it that way. <laughs> yeah. Do you find that if you if you discover a song like this, that's a remix of a track, does it make you, with dance tracks in general, it isn't the same as like a pop song where there's, you know, like an instantly recognizable singer that it can be completely different. An artist's work can be completely different and can in some cases be completely unrecognizable from track to track. Like Joey Negro has like a hundred thousand aliases and <laughs> makes all different kinds of music using different names and whatever. But if you, if you have a, a dance track like this, that really stands out for you, really speaks to you. Does that make you want to seek out that, um, producer's other work or is it just like, absolutely. A, yeah. Yeah. No, it, it definitely does. Um, actually that track made me look like become a big fan of Andre Loderman in all the different platforms. And actually his production um, is fantastic. Mm-hmm. I like his work. Uh, he can be extremely intense, extremely deep. At the same time, super fresh, super authentic. Um, and basically I have been, yeah, I have been catching whatever he's bringing out. There is another track by him called, I think, where are my friends or something like this. That is, is one of the dance floor hits that I always play. So I'm always, I'm always trying to stay connected to, to what I, what really drives me crazy, but also like to completely random new artists. Mm-hmm. I think that's the great advantage of having everything mixed in these platforms is that you don't really know what's what's going to hit you, you know? Yeah. Do you find yourself discovering new stuff from being out and about, from being in clubs or when we're talking about the streaming platforms being kind of this avalanche of shit being thrown at you that it's it's a little hard to sift through but how do you find yourself uh discovering new stuff these days well basically i i have my i have my my platforms you know like uh, the the very known ones which is beatport and i also use like the very basic ones like um what people play but i also have you know for because of course these platforms are kind of like um, target oriented, no? Mm -hmm. So they have like, there are different music styles. I like to to hear what is happening in the UK to what is also happening here. Um, And also what people is listening in general, like not just like uh, professional musicians kind of um, platforms. Yeah. And I basically just like randomly put things to play you know, like I said, like without paying attention who, who has done it, what's the label or and uh, from 200 tracks that I get to listen, maybe 10 or 15 tracks will be really of my taste. And then, and then I narrow down those 15 to like maybe 10, mm-hmm. but then it really need to drive me crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. When you're DJing, do you play nights that are uh, tailored towards specific musical genres or are you just like playing whatever you want to play when you play out? No, I, I I always try to, um, I mean, sometimes when I'm playing abroad, for example, you know, like different cities have also a different flair and a different, 
in a different taste. If you, what you play in Paris might not be as exciting to play in, in Berlin, you know, or in Italy, you know. Italians like techno, French people like almost like electro, um, Germans like uh, techno, you know. So it's like it can be it's it's very variable so i try to know okay what kind of night i'm playing and i try to research who's playing with me or after me you know to kind of have an idea because okay you i you have to make a selection in the end uh and you need to have some kind of like a flow that is also fitting the night and it has happened of course sometimes you think you assume that because you're playing uh in this club that you are gonna come are gonna have a good result by playing house and it turns out that people is just like waiting for the hard techno you know mm-hmm. just because i'm in the label uh pitch control sometimes people assume things but it's, it's also interesting to have a different perspective within the same label this is what i think and my label also thinks that and so. i guess that it makes you more bookable if you have a greater knowledge of different kinds of music and can understand what people are looking for in different countries and from you know club to club and just any crowd on any given night being able to kind of tailor your set to what people are responding to yeah well i mean luckily it's like even my my way of organizing music has a very specific uh coding so i don't i don't um select music according to um music genre or or even bpms i'm i'm creating like created some kind of mood code no Mm -hmm. which has numbers and digits digits and 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 letters Mm -hmm. um so it's like every track has a code of maybe six numbers or digits. Uh, so that's actually very interesting because then you have like, okay, it's not just the, the, the strength of the track, but how much information there is in it. Like um, if it's a peak hour track or if it's just barely like in a nice transition to jump from techno to deep house or to, I don't know, to crazy beats um so i kind of came up with that um formula and Mm. and i love it (laughs) yeah that's amazing um yeah i think like that's only the only thing that really bothers me sometimes when i hear um a lot of sets it's like of course you want to have a very smooth flow but i think like it music should kind of challenge you so whenever i'm going into some kind of very constant music flow then i try to put something else to break it Mm -hmm. to kind of create a different reaction and see if they go to the bathroom or or if they come (laughs) closer (laughs) yeah and i guess finding the balance between wanting to give people something to think about and introducing them to new music and new musical ideas and keeping things keeping people on their toes and also making sure that they're still engaged and and want to listen to it and want to stay on the dance floor exactly yeah but that's fucking amazing like having a library coding system that helps you to figure out the flow of the set and i mean it's like also like i have had like lately, I found a track by Henry uh, Schwartz. I don't have the name. Uh, maybe I can look it up in the meantime. But it's basically a orchestra. It's a track that was made with orchestra, and it's just like basically uh, strings and horns at the same time. Uh, it's called Algorithm. 
Mm. And it has a very dramatic beginning, also like a like like a film, like a '60s kind of Paul Maria, um, Last Tango in Paris kind of flair. And I play this in the middle of the set sometimes and people go crazy, you know, because it's like, it's kind of unexpected. People mm-hmm. want to feel the unexpected. Yeah. And in in a way, it's also related to everything else because it has still the same sexy elements, the dramatic element and people just like, this is the kind of move that I always wanted to do. And when I dare to do it, uh, people respond really well, you know, so. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that I find most gratifying about any kind of live performance is having those moments that you know exactly what the reaction is going to be from the crowd or like what you know you don't always get that reaction you can't guarantee that something's going to work the same way every single time but that 90 percent of the time you play this track and you're going to you know these particular moments are going to get people screaming you know um, yeah and and that feeling is totally amazing it's kind of like mind control it's like i am gonna make you fucking <laughs> cry now. i'm going to make you cry <laughs> yeah it's it's been uh, I mean I have had like uh, one of those moments uh, which have been really interesting. I have had in a couple of occasions actually girls like crying next to the booth, <laughs> which is a little scary sometimes, but it's kind of understandable. But like uh, music can be is that our way of preaching, you know? So. Yeah. If they do it in church, I'm sure they can do it in the club. Yeah. So do you need to, you know, reach over the booth and kind of pat them on the head and say, pull yourself together? (laughs) It's just music, okay? (laughs) (laughs) But But I think it's like coming back to that point of the the random factor is um, it's also something that has to do with with the people of our generation, you know, Mm -hmm. like... We grew up with televisions and being like completely bombarded with information and just like like constant radio shifts, you know, happening in our minds. And this is a, a, a way easier for for us to understand this kind of uh, this kind of a music style shift and uh, and different BPMs and different colors and different tastes. We we are like completely very completely fucked basically when it comes to um, the amount of information we are able to take in at the same time. Mm-hmm. So, so instead of going against it, I go with it. Yeah, right now, especially, people are constantly bombarded with information. There's like no break from screens ever. People are always yeah. on their phones. People are always in front of their computers. Yeah, it's like our brains are so addicted to consuming images and sounds that it just never stops. Yeah. Are there clubs in Berlin where they don't allow phones? Well, there um like clubs in Berlin mostly don't let you use cameras. Mm-hmm. That's for sure. Like they don't allow you for, you know, like um, privacy reasons, especially the big ones. Like they will not like they will put stickers on your phone. Mm. I don't know if that happens also in the US. Do you have that? Here there's a a club called Sutherland that locks your phone in a plastic pouch so you can't use your phone at all while you're in the club wow um, like that's put, valuable yeah yeah they put um your phone in this plastic pouch and it locks and they 
have to unlock it for you when you leave. So that's next level. Yeah. The whole idea is like, you know, instead of chatting to people, you know, if you, it's, it's a gay club. So like if you're wanting to meet new people, instead of being on grinder, talking to them Uh on the phone, like look up, they're directly in front of you, go over and say hello. So that's, that's like the, the furthest extreme of it. Um, but I don't know. I think it's, it's like a, it's a good thing and, and a, I, I don't know. I don't. Th- I don't think it's a bad thing. It's just because I'm so addicted to my phone. I'm just like, well, what if I was gonna? Uh, wh- what if I were gonna meet my friends and one of them was late and yeah, they yeah. couldn't find us? Um, what would I do then? Like, how how do I check my? Um, you know, if I have to Google something, <laughs> like, you know, it's like whatever. Five hours of your life. I don't think you're gonna die from not being able to use your phone, but. Yeah, it just shows how totally dependent I am on using my phone now. No, we are. <sighs> we are. Yes, we are. Totally pathetic. No, it's the fear of missing out, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I also like, um, I mean, I actually realized like being on the phone is the best way to avoid people. Mm-hmm. Um, so, of course, if you are in a situation when you are like coming to a club and you are very drunk or et cetera, and you don't really want to have any kind of interaction um, with uh, anybody, then you basically focus on the phone. Mm-hmm. And if they come anyways, then you start speaking on the phone. Um, <laughs> this is uh, nobody wants to mess with anybody that is speaking on the phone. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's my, yeah. So it's it has become not just a escape way. Can you say it like that? Like escape way, but also it has been a, a kind of a shield for people to like not to have any kind of interaction with nobody. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's a very useful weapon sometimes. Yeah, but just the difference from you know when I was going to clubs when I was a teenager and um, in my 20s, smartphones didn't exist. And mm-hmm. you'd go to a club and it was like the only thing that you were paying attention to was your friends and the music. And now, anytime that I go out anywhere, it's like any lull, if there's ever any slight gap in conversation, and that's across the board with everyone who is in whatever you know club, I've gone to or I went to see a movie last night and like three rows ahead of me there was a kid playing Angry Birds on an iPad during the film it's just like people cannot ever disengage with or they they can't engage with one particular thing they have to be engaged with everything all the time Mm -hmm. (sighs) it's exhausting it's exhausting but I think it's like in general when it comes to music People will start realizing and that you cannot take music for granted. So mm-hmm. <laughs> the moment one of these platforms or or a law changes and we are like suddenly forced to buying CDs again mm-hmm. or exclusively buying our uh, um, music, then I think it will be a big difference. Yeah. Music has been completely devalued by streaming platforms and the how readily available music is for free nobody worries about paying for it anymore nobody worries about being selective or discerning in their tastes it's just like oh music is always there i don't need to think about yeah. it or worry about it too much it's just like a free utility that i i don't have to 
you don't have to engage with yeah. as much as you did 20 years ago. I see, I see that in a different, um, I have something in a different, in a different aspect. I have been talking, I'm surrounded also by very young people, like the, the people that is starting to go, to, to go out now, you know, so 18 year olds, 20 year olds, people that grew up with internet, people that, mm-hmm. and sometimes you are having a conversation and realizing that, okay, obviously they are not as, as um, they don't have, they don't have the knowledge that a, an older person will have, not just because they are younger, but because anybody, anyone that was born in the 80s grew up with some kind of information anxiety. We were taught from the beginning that we needed to be eager to learn stuff, mm-hmm. that we needed to know who Gorbachev was, mm-hmm. and we needed to know who Charlie Chaplin was, that we needed to know who Jason, Josephine Baker was, and who the Beatles were, and... And this is something that in within the 90s with the people that was born then, um, they didn't re- they were not forced in such a way. They, they basically had the information there. So whenever you need something, you go and look it up. So I always tell my friends, especially the young ones, I say like, okay, first of all, please promise me you will look up Charlie Chaplin, <laughs> Josephine Baker, and Michael Jackson. <laughs> This is how intense it, it is. I mean, like, when someone says, like, oh, yeah, Michael Jackson, yeah, I, I, ha- I think I have seen... You think you have seen? Yeah. Sorry, you have to watch Remember the Time, and then we can talk. And then you know who Iman was, is, and also Eddie Murphy, please. <laughs> yeah. Here is the older people talking. <laughs> yeah. In my day, people actually had to learn things. When Shirley Bashi was singing Golden <laughs> Finger. Um, so thank you so much for talking to me. It was lovely hearing your voice. My pleasure. After so many years, we still are here. Yeah. And this is a wonderful thing about communication today. Yes. We are able to find each other wherever we are. Yes. See, the Internet's not all bad. No, no, it's actually, it, it can be very rewarding. Yes. Um, I want to thank you for uh, inviting me to this very, um, very pleasant few minutes. Yes. And, um, uh, yeah. Where can people find you if they want to listen to your stuff and find out more about you? Well, uh, in the usual uh, music platforms, um, but I have also been involved in some um, film projects. So it's also going to it's, it's going to reach you whether you want it or not. <laughs> but I'm under Irene Groth under um, SoundCloud and also on YouTube, and this is the best way to reach me. Wonderful. Thank you again. Kisses and hugs from Berlin. Yes. Take care. Ciao. Bye. Isn't she fantastic? I love talking to her. We've been friends for a long time, and it was very nice to catch up. Um, so now it's time for your favorite part of the show. My art recommendations for the week. Try to contain your excitement. First up is a little comedy. I watched an HBO special by Amanda Seals called I Be Knowin', and it is funny as fuck. Um, I love her so much. You may know her as Tiffany from Insecure um, or as a touring member of Floetry. 
Um, but she's also a super hilarious stand-up, and I implore you to watch this if you have access to HBO. If you don't, uh, watch some clips on YouTube or something. Please use your initiative. I also took a little stroll around the galleries in Chelsea, and there were a couple of shows that I really liked. The first one is a Nancy Graves exhibition called Mapping, which uh, focuses on her fascination with, you guessed it, maps, uh, but also about the moon landing and NASA technology, and that's mostly um, paintings and drawings. Uh, I also really liked the Sarah Charlesworth show, um, which is photo-based work, meaning that she starts with photos and then fucks around with them, you know, chops them up and makes collages and stuff. Um, is that too vague? Never fear. I will put some pictures on social media for you because that's the kind of guy I am. So that's it for another week. Uh, please remember to follow me on social media at Spark Parade. If you want to support the show with cold, hard cash, you can do that on thesparkparade.com. If you want to support the show with thoughts and feelings, you can do that by rating it five stars wherever you can and writing some lovely reviews, or you can just keep listening. That'll do nicely too. Until next week, my friends. Bye. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.